Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals make it easy to eat better every day. Whatever's on your schedule, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and in two minutes eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup required. Every week, you have over 35 different options to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more. Plus, there are over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons. So if you're looking for fast, upscale, delicious, easy options, what are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash datingwhilegray50 and use code datingwhilegray50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash datingwhilegray50 and use code datingwhilegray50 to get 50% off. I'm Laura Stasi, and this is Dating While Gray, the grown-up's guide to love, sex, and relationships. Why can't we have these open discussions? Because, you know, there's nothing shameful about wanting to have sex or being sexually active. Older men and older women have, have to accommodate the physiological changes of sexuality, and that's an adjustment. But if you make the adjustment, you can find tremendous pleasure. We're exploring aging and intimacy with the help of two experts, a physician and a journalist, on this episode, Sex Education. (sighs) Sex. How did something that's supposed to be fun and exciting and pleasurable get so complicated in our older years? It seems like there's a lot more to think about and talk about before actually, you know, doing it. And it can be nerve-wracking, especially if we haven't had a new partner or any partner in a very long time. What can we reasonably expect from our older bodies? Will our sexual histories come back to haunt us? Are some things better left unsaid? Is spontaneity dead? So many questions, and I'm glad we have some help answering them. I'm Dr. Jen Gunter. I'm an OBGYN and host of the uh, docuseries Gensplaining. You remember Dr. Jen from season one of the show. She's also the author of The Vagina Bible, The Vulva and the Vagina, Separating the Myth from the Medicine. She had so much good stuff to say when I first talked to her. It seemed a shame not to share more of her insights. And we have another expert voice on sex for this episode. Well, I'm Michael Castleman, a sexuality journalist for 46 years, author of several books about sexuality. My latest is called Sizzling Sex for Life, How to Maximize Erotic Pleasure at Any Age. Dr. Jen and Michael will be weighing in as we explore sex and intimacy issues submitted by listeners. I received an email from a 50-year-old woman who was in a sexless marriage for 11 years. And when I say sexless, I mean after the honeymoon, they did not have sex at all. She got divorced and then she met someone and had really bad sex. Quote, while my confidence level grows daily, it took a huge hit during marriage and the one sexual experience since. I crave sex as well as intimacy, but I'm scared about the thought of becoming intimate with a man. 
I desire an intimate relationship. I desire great sex. And is it too much to ask for mind-blowing sex occasionally? Unquote. You know, I think a lot of us can relate to the starting over aspects. So I asked, what can older people do to perhaps get on track to a better sex life? Yes, there are many things to do. One is don't rush into it. When you're older, one of the gifts of age, whether we like it or not, is patience. So rather than, you know, meeting someone at a party and, oh, wow, you're hot and let's go to bed, take it a little slower. Second thing is to, you know, really understand the fundamentals of lovemaking, which a lot of people don't learn or don't appreciate. Uh, and those fundamentals uh, include consent. You have mm-hmm. to ask someone, do you really want to be sexual with me? You want, before you get sexual, you want to hear someone say, I do want to be sexual with you. Uh, self-sexing, the way that people learn about pleasurable touch and how they respond to erotic stimulation is what they do by themselves. Uh-huh. And uh, a lot of people, for religious reasons or whatever, don't do much of that. Mm. If you're older and uh, interested in new love, I would recommend trying that more. If you're uh, coming out of a a long-term relationship, I think, first of all, it's good to think about what was your sex like in that relationship and if there's any pain or any discomfort or you haven't had sex in a long time because sometimes that's what happens, right? You know, people have sex so infrequently and then they end the relationship. So you talk to someone and they think, well, over the last five years, I think I had sex like four times. Like that's, so it's hard for them to gauge if it's painful. So, you know, I'll say, well, are you masturbating? Do you have any problem inserting a vibrator? You know, tell me about that. And if they're not, I'm like, well, that might be an idea. Um, One, because it's fun. And two, you know, then you'll have an idea about if there's anything that's uncomfortable for you or not. So you can decide if you need treatment. You can also then start figuring out what lubes and things work for you. So there's that. And then, Certainly, you know, we we recommend that um, that people then think about, you know, STI testing and, you know, what your risk is. And, you know, are you sure that that relationship that you came out of was monogamous and that you, you know, you 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 weren't exposed to something? I mean, talk with your doctor about your individual risks. Exposed to something that's also on listeners minds. We'll talk about that after the break. Hi, I'm Phil Donahue. And I'm Marlo Thomas. We fell in love on live television, right there on my show. Not long after we got married, and that was more than 40 years ago. Now on our new podcast, Double Date, we visit the homes of our favorite long-married celebrity couples. We share intimate conversations about enduring love and all its challenges. Family, career, conflict, addiction, illness, jealousy... Everything a couple can face. And you'll hear those personal and often hilarious stories that all married people like to tell. From couples like Viola Davis and Julius Tennant, Neil Patrick Harris and David Burka, Kelly Ripa and Mark Consuelos, Judge Judy and Jerry Scheinlin, and so many more. We can't wait to share some of the laughs and tears and revelations that we had with these remarkable spouses. Listen to Double Date. 
on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Laura. This is Jean. I'm in my 60s. I've been open to meeting men since my long-term relationship ended about 15 years ago, but I haven't dated too much over all those years. I recently decided I should at least try online dating, but since I haven't had sex in a number of years, that brings up lots of questions about intimacy. There was a time when it was recommended to have an HIV test before sex. What's the current thinking on that? How widespread is HIV in the 60-plus demographic group right now? Thanks for any light you can shine on this. Bye. The rates of sexually transmitted infections and diseases are highest among younger people. But in the past five years, the rates have gone up for people 55 and older. So it's understandable why many listeners had questions about STIs and STDs. After I got divorced, um, I wound up in a relationship and I was actually living with somebody. And I was sick and I went to the doctors and I found out I had an STD. And this STD is not um, curable. That's Susie, and that's not her real name. Susie thought very seriously about identifying herself because she thinks it's important to normalize this discussion. But then she got nervous about the potential fallout with her current partner. It is herpes, and, and I actually take medication every day to suppress it. It is something that you need to share with your partners because it is uh, transmissible and it's something that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. So when I found out I had it, I had to go home and tell my boyfriend. The problem is I have no idea when I got it. The thing with herpes is that it could have been, I could have got it in my 20s and it didn't come out until I was 50. Or I could have gotten it from my current partner I was sleeping with and he just never said anything to me. Or maybe he didn't know he had it, right? It is the hardest thing to have a conversation about. Even with your girlfriends, it's hard to have a conversation about it. If it wasn't so embarrassing or if it wasn't so hard to talk about it, maybe it wouldn't be as common because maybe we would be doing a better job of protecting against it, right? So to be perfectly honest, the first intimate um, relationship I had after I split off with that boyfriend, so I found out during that relationship, I struggled with what's the right time to tell a person? When do you tell a person, right? Well, let me tell you, I told him at the wrong time. I should have told him sooner, right? Um, as far as like we were, we had been slightly intimate and he was really upset when I told him and um, paranoid and all this stuff. Yeah. So you told him at the wrong time, you said you've been intimate. Had you been intimate in a way that he could have actually contracted herpes? Um, probably. Okay to be perfectly frank. It is really, really hard to tell somebody. And I I messed up and I will be, I will be honest with the fact that I had messed up on that one. Herpes is like uh, the scarlet letter to a lot of people. They feel like they're, they're damned because they have herpes. You're not. It's okay to have herpes. It's fine. Tens of millions of Americans have herpes. It's okay. Um, It's no reflection on you. Herpes is just a viral infection. And initial outbreaks can be painful and annoying. And after that, a lot of people never have a subsequent outbreak. 
so there's herpes simplex one and herpes simplex two. And herpes simplex one is what we commonly associate with oral sores and herpes simplex two is what we commonly associate with genital sores. But you can get herpes simplex one on your genitals. Mm. So worldwide, 67% of the population has antibodies to HSV1. Um, And uh, in the United States, if you want to look at HSV2 or herpes simplex 2, which is the one that, you know, we're, we're sort of talking about. About 20% of women and 11% of men have antibodies. So it's not quite as high as people say. But that being said, I tell people you want to think about it just like you think about a cold sore on the mouth. When you walk down the street and you see somebody with a cold sore on their mouth, you don't point at them and say, oh my God, you're a pariah. You're, you know, you're like typhoid Mary. This You just think, oh my God, that must hurt. Or you don't think about it at all. And so, the risks to herpes, what we think about as physicians, are not what the general public thinks about. You know, the majority of people who contract genital herpes never have an outbreak. That's 80%, right? So I think people are worried about these recurrent sores, which can happen for a percentage, but that's not the majority experience. Say that again, 80% of people who have herpes never have an outbreak? Yeah, Absolutely. That's how it's passed along, right? I mean, and then people shed the virus episodically, but they never know they had it. So they can't tell anybody, you know, about it. So yeah, so most people don't have recurrent sores. The issues medically with herpes are one during pregnancy. So in general, if you're over 50, that's not a concern for you. Um, And the other thing is if you have herpes, if you're either shedding the virus or you have an outbreak or your partner is shedding, you're more likely to catch HIV if you're exposed. So herpes is an important cofactor for transmission of HIV. So so medically, how I think about it's very different than how the the general public sort of has this like sort of like herpes fear, but they're not thinking about it, you know, in a medical way. And why do they have a herpes fear? Because we don't talk about it and we don't explain these things because, you know, I mean, I see people who like haven't had sex for five years because they had an outbreak of genital herpes and they feel that they're broken and there's something wrong with them. And, you know, and I also hear people say, well, I would never date anyone who had genital herpes. I'm like, well, do you make everybody you kiss get a test? Because, you know, there's a good chance you could be kissing someone who has it and then you could, you could catch it on your mouth. So I think that there are certainly ways to protect yourself if um, condoms, again, reduce the risk of HSV transmission, herpes transmission to the genitals. I think it's also important to, to have the conversation about how it can be harder for uh, women and men to protect themselves from STIs as they age because, you know, if your partner has some erectile dysfunction, getting a condom on can be harder, right? So female condoms can be useful for that, uh, but they they go in the vagina so you don't have to worry about kind of an erectile component. Uh, if you know know that you're positive, you can take uh, antiviral medication to reduce the risk of transmission to your partner. Um, So there are things that you can do. And, you know, what you decide to do might depend on many individual things. And these are, again, discussions to have, you know, hopefully with a provider who can make you feel comfortable talking about it. Right. And did you say you can only transmit during an outbreak? No, you can transmit at any time. So so herpes uh, reactivates even when you don't have lesions. So you could shed the virus, you know, anytime and, and you know, have no, and that's why it's transmitted because people, most people never get outbreaks. They don't, they have it, but they're episodically shedding the virus. So there's, everybody's heard of mono, right? 
mononucleosis, right? That's caused by Epstein-Barr virus, which is also a herpes virus. They're in the same category. And so after you have mono, uh, you know, if you got mono when you're three, you might not even know because the younger you are when you get mono, the milder it is. So, you know, maybe your parents just thought you had a cold or flu, who knows, right? So you get better. But throughout your life, you can episodically shed that virus from your salivary glands, and that's how you could pass it on to someone else. The uh, and nobody, you know, makes a big deal about that. But because herpes affects the genitals, people get all worked up about it. I mean, I only see women in my office, so I think there's, I obviously have that bias. But it seems to me that 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 women feel ashamed. I mean, I, I had a woman who reached out to me after reading my book, and she hadn't had sex. She had not been sexually active for 20 years because she was terrified because she had herpes. Right. Right. And I mean, it's like, you know, like, first of all, you know, and different people have different perceptions of risk. So, you know, you we recommend telling your partner if you're if you're positive. But how do you tell people if everybody makes a big deal about it and it shames you? So you can tell your partner and your partner can say, well, maybe I'll go get tested and see if I've been exposed, because if I've had it and you have it, then it's no big deal. Right. And then if I'm negative and you're positive, well, let's talk about how we could reduce the risk of transmission. You know, you then you make an adult decision about it. So I think the fact that we impart all this shame into sex and we impart these shame, especially for women who are sexually active, mm. just talk about it just in the same way. You're like, well, you know, what do I want to do for flu prevention? You know, I think that um, talking about it in a frank way where we're not being judgmental, you know, is how we have these conversations. I mean, you know, there's still 30,000 cases of HIV transmitted sexually a year in the United States. Right. And we have this amazing drug pre-exposure prophylaxis that people can take to essentially reduce their risk to zero. We could prevent 30,000 cases of HIV a year, and yet we're not because we can't have these conversations. So, you know, that's a little less applicable to, you know, although there still are cases of HIV transmitted for, you know, people are still getting it in their 50s and 60s. But I just think that, that think about, the human toll that not talking about these things just in an open, non-judgmental way causes. Talking, that is important for other aspects of sex and intimacy. We'll explore that after the break. There's a lot more episode left to go, but I just quickly want to tell you about a podcast I've come to really enjoy. It's called Embodied, and it's also produced at North Carolina Public Radio and hosted by my colleague, Anita Rao. Hi, Anita. Hey, Laura. I am so glad that you are enjoying Embodied. Oh, I love it. And um, I think it's because as a host, you remind me of me. We're both really curious about sex and relationships. And you even get into some of the scientific reasons behind established cultural norms. Yes, we did a whole episode about body hair removal. And we're talking about mm. STIs and looking at why they're so stigmatized when just about everyone has one, it turns out. Um, okay. So not everyone. No, I'm exaggerating. But I do appreciate you talking that um, we should not stigmatize them. Yeah. The mission of Embodied is really talking about things that we leave in the dark, things that we consider too shameful for public discourse, and shedding some light on those so we all can feel a little more empathy for one another and better understand one another without feeling like there are things that are really off limits. I think that's great. Um, and season two of Embodied is out now. I'm subscribed. I can't wait to listen. 
I'm so glad you're subscribed. We have some very interesting shows coming down the pipeline. Um, I'm so excited for all of your listeners to hopefully subscribe. And they can listen um, right here where they're listening to this show. And I hope everyone will check it out. My thanks to Dr. Jen Gunter. Her new book, The Menopause Manifesto, is out in May. Thanks also to Michael Castleman, who has agreed to share some more of his time with the Dating While Gray community. I'll tell you more about that at the end of the show. But first, another email question for Michael. Quote, Men our age sometimes have more difficulty maintaining erections. Because I don't want to add pressure, I rarely initiate. How best to handle? Unquote. This got me wondering, can sex be satisfying absent a hard penis? So what happens is that older couples stop having intercourse, but they don't stop putting their hands and mouths all over each other and Mm -hmm. having what sexologists call outer course, which is it's kissing, hugging, rolling around, mutual whole body massage, hand jobs, oral sex, toys, maybe some kink. There's a whole world of exciting, ecstatic sexual activity that doesn't involve intercourse at all. And in general, women are more open to this than men. Women are more open to a sort of whole body lovemaking uh, experience. A lot of men really believe that sex equals intercourse. And if they can't have intercourse, they're just going to stop having sex because what's the point? And so much of what I write about for older men is to say, hey, look, If you want to retire from sex because you can't have intercourse, that's up to you. But there's a lot of ways to make love that do not involve intercourse, and you can have really great time, and you don't need an erection to have an orgasm. Uh, A lot of men don't know that, uh, but men do not need erections to have earthquake orgasms. So aging requires all kinds of adjustments. In general, when women experience erotic awakenings in later life. The new guy that they're with is much more into kissing, cuddling, and whole body massage and providing oral sex. I'm always encouraging men to uh, get a clue about women's sexuality and understand that intercourse is a tremendous amount of fun for men And men come, men have orgasms and about 95% of intercourse experiences and fewer than 25% of women have uh, orgasms during intercourse. And although women often enjoy the closeness of intercourse, it's not what gets them off. Yeah. Men need to understand that uh, kiss her lips, both sets, every time. Okay, emailer, sounds like maybe you should start initiating, not sex, but a kind and gentle and fun pre-sex discussion. I mean, with all things related to sex and intimacy, it doesn't seem like we should avoid any topics. So let's all get more comfortable talking about it. With that mission in mind, I have an invitation for you. Join me and Michael Castleman live on Facebook on April 20th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. He'll answer more of your questions about sex and intimacy over age 50, and maybe some of mine too. 
Michael's specialty is men. So if you're a man or you enjoy having sex with men, here's your chance to talk with an expert or just listen and learn. It's happening on Facebook Live, April 20th at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. Hope to see you there. And make sure you like Dating While Gray on Facebook so you'll get an event notification when we're live. Dating While Gray is produced in partnership with North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. You can support this show with a donation or by becoming a member at wunc.org slash give. My thanks to producer Kamaya Truitt and editor Charlie Shelton Ormond. Our theme music is by Daniel Peterschmidt. And Lindsay Foster Thomas is WUNC's director of content. There's much more about the show and every episode we've ever done at datingwhilegray.com. I'm Laura Stasi. Thanks for listening. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.